Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the next big thing in church, stewardship. I say we because I'm joined today by Joel Park, the CEO and president of Horizon Stewardship. Joel leads a great team of ministry strategists whose mission is to help churches and faith-based nonprofits grow disciples and also fund ministry. Welcome, Joel. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this important topic today. Thanks, Leo, for inviting me. Yep. Pleasure. So the inspiration for this show came from Joe and his team, uh, who recently published an article on their website on this very subject. In fact, it's the title of the blog. Uh, If you're not connected with Horizon Stewardship and you're not accessing their content and website, I strongly encourage you to do so. They have some great, great content, continue to produce some great content, and you would definitely benefit to check them out. So Joe, let's just start, first of all, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you before we jump into this topic. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm part of a a ministry here called Horizon Stewardship. We've got 38 folks who are engaged in this work. The vast majority of those work directly with churches, and uh, most of us are IFC-trained coaches. Many of us are CFREs. But what holds us together is this desire and, and belief in discipleship. I know churches and faith-based nonprofits hire us to raise money, but for us, we really view generosity as a, um, a byproduct of the discipleship process. And that's why we say our, our work is to help churches grow disciples and, and fund ministry. I was a bank CEO 20 years ago and felt a calling to ministry and I had actually been a part of Horizons as part of their advisory group when it was formed. The pastor who formed it, Dr. Cliff Christopher, put together an advisory board and and asked me as his his bank CEO to be on that. But when I told him I was feeling a call to ministry, he said, well, why um, why don't you come to work for Horizons? And my, my response was, Cliff, Good Lord, no. Um, God called me into ministry, not fundraising. And so I was really, that was really stuck in my mind for uh, about three years. And uh, along the process, God kept speaking to me about discipleship. And finally, um, I had a conversation with Cliff and just said, so maybe we can work these two things together. And, Mm. you know, here I am 20 years later, loving, loving what God lets me do. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 so great that you share that because I think so many people that listen to this podcast, they feel almost a bit like like what you just described. It's like, God, no, I don't want to do any fundraising. Cause it almost seems like it there's it, I don't know. I, I know I had the same issue when I was on staff at a church as a stewardship pastor. I did not want to do that side. I thought, gosh, I just wanna I wanna help people understand biblical stewardship and then just inspire them to give, not necessarily do the asking, but there's a need for both this in there because ministry needs funding. But yet, if we're going to do it the right way, we can't just do it for the reason of bringing funds into the kingdom. We need to not forget that people are involved because people are committed. 
and they're first committed to the Lord, just as scripture says that they were first committed to the Lord and then to us, and then they gave. And I think that's such an important thing that you guys do is you're discipling people through the process of also raising funds for much needed ministry. So I love, I love that aspect of the ministry that you have. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's uh, that's very, very um, inspiring to me. Uh, Leo, you make a great point. I think um, all of us that are in the work of generosity uh, need a gut check um, as to why we're doing it. And if we are primarily doing it to fund ministry from the perspective that we're wanting something from the people that we're discipling, we've missed the mark. What we want is something for them, that yeah. being generous is part of this work of, of being like Jesus and our God, who is a generous God. And so if you're listening and you're thinking you need to get something from people, and that's what we're talking about today, and you still think that after the, the podcast, then, then we've just failed, Leo. Oh, so agree with you. So let's dig into this topic of the next big thing in church stewardship. Uh, let's start with the current state of giving to the church. Where are we currently? What kind of changes have we experienced in recent history, especially through the pandemic? And why does it matter? Well, Leo, there's a, a really significant shift happening in, in giving today. Essentially, since um, the late 80s, giving to the church has fallen to about half of what it was prior to that. Now, total giving continues to grow, but it isn't really growing in the sense that uh, people are being more generous. What's happening is as we become wealthier, our GDP increases, so does giving, because giving is, has remained about 2% of people's income, about 2% of our, our GDP um, for the last 50 years. So we're no more generous than we were. We're no less generous than we were. What's happening is the church is receiving about half of what it used to. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. And if folks go to our free resource library, giving365.com, we've got webinars on that subject that, that go deep into this Giving USA data. But the bottom line is we are lagging virtually all other sectors of nonprofit giving, and that's impacting the church. And we're at a place today where after inflation, we're actually going backwards. Over the last three years, we've actually lost buying power. We haven't even stayed the same. We've lost buying power while Americans continue to give more. Mm. Yeah. I mean, obviously something is happening. Church leaders have, I hate to say it this way, but just failed to understand and adapt to this decline because it's been steadily going down since 1980. I think it was around 60%. Now it's just below 30%, so it's actually more than 50%. But yet it seems to me, again, I'm, I'm, I was in the stewardship realm and was in a church uh, on the church staff for 11 years. And I don't know how many times we discussed, if any, of who's actually giving and who's not giving. And how are we measuring that based on what happened the year before and the year before? And the downside to, especially to a growing church, a church that continues to grow, their giving grows because their giving base grows, meaning there's more people coming to the church. But it doesn't mean that group is becoming more and more generous, right? So we really got to be careful because that decline can be happening while giving still continues to go up in our individual churches. And that's a that could be a misleading thing. So talk about this changing perspective on giving to churches. What is it? 
How do you define um, this so that church leaders can understand what they can do about it? Well, there are a lot of ways it could be defined, but a, a simple one is a perspective of why people give. The builder generation is quintessentially an organization-centric view. They wanted to support the institution. Culturally, they grew up in a time where people were bound together and they protected institutions. They did it out of obedience, and they trusted that their leaders were going to use these funds in a way that was God-ordained. And so they just gave and let it go. That perspective continues to decrease with each generation where today, boomers, uh, Gen Xers, millennials absolutely have an impact-centric view. They believe there has to be a connection between giving and its impact, and it has to be compelling and measurable, and they need to be able to see it. And so it isn't so much that they don't trust leaders um, well, it is. They, they simply don't trust leaders the way that the builders do, but it's not just church leaders. It's the whole uh, perspective. And they want you to show your work. Uh, they need a connection if you are going to increase their giving specifically uh, within your church. Mm -hmm. That's so true. I and mean, when you talk about organization-centric or impact-centric, my generation, I'm a gen Xer, but anybody my age or older grew up in, you know, you went to church two, three times a week, uh, you sat through two to three hour services, and it was just what you did. And there wasn't obedience. And it was almost, uh, and it is, I think, for some of us at that age or older, we felt like that was the right thing. And that's what we understood God wanted us to do. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I obviously being committed to the body, protecting, uh, you know, the and growing the church physically and organically. Uh, that's important. It's still important, I think, to those that are focused on impact-centric. But back then, we didn't have as much openness to the information. Today, this generation, especially the millennials and Gen Y, they have more access to information than we ever did. So for them to not ask the question, well, where is all this money going, would be weird, right? I mean, exactly. they have information on everything else. Why would they not know what the church is doing with the tithe or their giving? So they want to know. And when they don't, when the church isn't good about communicating how their dollars are actually impacting the congregation, the poor, the community, well, they kind of think, well, I don't know what they're doing with it, but unless I know, I probably won't give. And I think that's just a reality is that we've not communicated to this group of people. And I know even with our church, we had a really great church. When I was there, we, we were giving 10, 15, 20% of the budget away you know, so there was a lot of money given to kingdom causes, but I think we only share that information maybe once or twice a year. And it was so sad to see all this stuff going on. And on a week by week, month by month basis, very little was said about it. But again, you had a good giving base, everything seemed fine. So there was nothing to fix per se. And I think that's, that's where some, some church leaders are missing it. All right. So you shared on the impact centric view, and I like for us to discuss this a little bit more is this the major reason giving to churches continues to decline? Is that what you see or what you think is happening? And what can or should church leaders do about this? Yes, I think it is the primary 
failure on the part of the church to recognize the change that's happened in culture. Uh, culture is bombarding folks with messages of me first, and particularly young people are very, very sensitive to the uh, social and economic challenges in their community. Uh, there's a shift from sort of overseas focus, um, which some of the older generations had. The younger ones are, are very much interested in what you are doing right here on our block. Mm. And if we are not demonstrating that in the way that they need to hear it, the way that they are hearing it from other uh, nonprofits who are, are in work that they think is important, if they're not hearing it like that from us, then it's very unlikely that they're going to be motivated to give to us. So we've got to tell our stories in a way that is impactful and measurable. We tend to um, miss the mark by talking about all the things we've done and it would be far more effective to tell the story of one life. Mm. And that's far stickier. So in our offering talks, instead of saying we had 750 children at our vacation Bible school talking about a child and how that child and their family was impacted, and then to come around with facts and figures after you've connected with somebody's heart. If you fail to do that with these younger generations, and when we say younger generations, you know, we're, we're basically talking 50 and under. If we fail to do that, then we're not going to see the kind of growth in generosity in our setting, even if we are able to convince them or, or God uh, leads them to be generous, it's going to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the nonprofit growth the way I used to think growing up in the church, and I used to think about how the church should contribute to the larger global issues, was to send missionaries to provide, and maybe even to support certain nonprofits. Um, but as we know, a lot of denominations would have their own missions department, and they would, they would support their own missionaries, right, that they would send. And right. that was normal. That's what you did. I'm sure there were socioeconomic and problems back then as well, but we just were more focused on trying to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, so to speak. And so our focus was global and the community and all of that just wasn't a focus. But this new generation, especially uh, Gen Z and Gen Y, that's all they care about. It's like, what's happening to my friend who I see struggling and I know she, I went to school with her or I, I you know, she's down the street from me. And when the church isn't either communicating or it's just simply not doing anything about it, then they're like, well, maybe it's not something my church cares about. So therefore, if I'm going to give and I, and I know I'm supposed to give, it's something I want to do, then I'm going to give where I think God is leading you to do. And they're going to see the need and they're going to try to fulfill that need. And they'll interpret that as God is telling me to go here. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I think we should support those in the community. We should reach out to the poor. We don't necessarily always have to filter everything to their church. However, the health of the church and the institution of the church is a vital component of our Christian walk and, and discipleship and, and the kingdom of God. So my concern with the church is, and with giving, is that it's diminishing the need for the church. You know, people can just watch everything online, get their podcast um, messages and and, and that's it. It's a kind of a soul journey instead of being part of a body. 
And Christ was very clear that we are a body, that we come together, that we bring our gifts, our our abilities. And the church is still that. And we need to help as much as we can, these church leaders to understand that without funding, without being able to disciple people in the area of giving, it's going to be difficult for them to continue to be engaged in the church. And you made an excellent point that people, um, the younger generations are seeing the church as more and more irrelevant Mm -hmm. because we're not making the difference they want to see on the ground. But we also have an eternal perspective. uh, These nonprofits, now some of them are faith-based nonprofits, but in general, they are not in the business of bringing people to Christ. So the church is importance can't be diminished. It can only be diminished in in the minds of people. And that brings us back to discipleship. So if our churches are not being generous, if our people are not being generous, it really is a failure of discipleship on our part. Mm. And it isn't them, it's us. And so we need to first say, what are we failing to do to effectively disciple these generations so that they want to invest through the church and in this eternal reality that uh, exists. Yeah. So, Joe, I mean, you guys work with churches all the time. You speak with pastors all the time. What should churches do? What should these leaders do? How should they communicate about giving so that this this tide begins to turn and the church is well-resourced? And then the next generation and one after that sees the importance of the church and the work of the church, what should they do? Well, picking up on this issue that if we are not seeing the results we want from the people that we are called to shepherd, that's on us. Mm. Uh, So it's got to start with what do we need to change? And one of the first steps is embracing that this one size fits all communication that it it used to work Mm -hmm. when there was a a monolithic perspective, but that is not our reality today. And so we've got to let that go. Another is we need a very, very clear theology of generosity. Mm -hmm. So many of our churches are sending conflicting messages. Our donors don't understand that a tithe is not the same thing as an offering, is not the same thing as giving, is not the same thing as donation. Those are all not synonymous. Those are very, very specific definitions. And until we are clear about what we believe about generosity, and we have a set of words that we stay with over and over again, and we don't conflate those things together, then um, we're not going to communicate very effectively. We've also got to understand that uh, there are a variety of communication channels that have got to be used because people are plugged into to different things. Some are coming to church and a bulletin works. Others are reading the church uh, newsletter. Others are primarily getting their information from social media. And so we need to understand how our people are taking in information and to use the channels that they're already using to try to get them to to do something our way is foolish when they're already doing it in ways that we can actually use. And there are consultants out there that'll help with that information. At the end of the day, the next big thing is about growing this culture of 
generosity. It is not a thing. It is not a season in the church. It's not a Sunday in the church. It's not a one time a year appeal. It is something that we have to be doing all the time because it's really discipleship. And we've got to do it 52 weeks a year. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, so true. So that is the next big thing that you mentioned in church giving. That is, we need to start focusing on building this culture of generosity and everything that that encompasses, the communication, understanding the different, both learning styles and, and how people interact with the information. In the article, you guys wrote something that I want to draw out. And the statement is, there is no institution better positioned to meet the needs of local communities than the local church. And that's something I, I think every pastor believes and wants when they start their church. They want to impact that community. The neighbor down the street, the widow two streets over, the single mom, all of that. They want to reach those people. But then somehow that doesn't come through. Even if we're doing it, we may not be communicating it. Like you said, it's not about statistics, how much it was given, where it went. It's life stories. Because of you, this happened. Yes. And I think we missed so many opportunities. And there are some wonderful churches doing some wonderful things with some very, very generous people. But yet we think it's just automatically passing on. I'm kind of in between. I'm old enough to remember and be obedient to the old ways of doing things. But I remember as our church was doing capital campaigns, early on, there was very specific agenda for why we were doing it. And then later on, it was more like, to grow God's kingdom. It's like, like I need something more specific. And I'm, I'm an older guy. So it's like, if I feel that way, that I need to know where this is going to go. If I'm going to pray and say, God, how much above the tithe and above what we're doing, should we give? Like, you, If you want us to sacrifice something, then help us to do it because we're excited about it. Like We want to not just say, well, we wrote a check for something, or we give a monthly amount above what we're normally giving. And we hope the church is going to do a good job. And even though I trusted the leadership, that's not the point. The point is it's about being what's called a hilarious giver, right? I wanted to be engaged to say, okay, we gave here and look at the result a year later or six months later, or even a week later. And if I am, as an older guy, <laughs> feel like that's a need for me to, to be more generous and to give and to, to be part of that generous culture, how much more younger people who don't have our background, don't have our conditioning uh, of giving. So I think it's such an important thing to understand for pastors that this generous giver culture is the only way that we're going to not just increase giving, but really impact the community and have the church actually become and be what it's supposed to be. Because without that, they're going to find ways to help the causes they see are needy. And if the church doesn't seem to care about it or just doesn't communicate about it, then they're going to give outside of the church, and we're going to continue to see a decline. So I love that you guys have boiled it down to, you got to build a culture of generosity. So you and your team work with many churches. Uh, tell us, how do you help churches to understand what a culture of generosity is? CSN obviously is focused on that. We also help church leaders to understand how to speak on this topic so that they can speak on it boldly, with confidence, so that they are truly equipping people. It is about discipleship. How do you guys do it? How can people benefit by reaching out to you and having you coach them through some of this? Yeah, let's uh, first get our heads around the idea of it is really hard. Mm. Uh, again, we are working against the culture. And so many people remember when it was different. And 
It takes systems. It takes ability to measure. It takes a radical discipline to clarity in our communication. And it takes sophistication in terms of the various channels. And it's going to mean an investment. It's a bit like worship. We can't just do in person worship today, peer in worship isn't going to work. So we've got people on campus that we're communicating with, and we have people online that we have to communicate with differently. And we have another group that's watching on demand, and we've got to make that compelling. And that is a worship experience for them. So we can't just play the sermon. We've got to pull it all together. And each one of those looks differently. Well, it's the same with generosity. So for us, we began with an assessment. We look to see where the church is today in their practices and compare them against best practices that we see in generous churches. And so we really learn when we're working with churches, and our role is to take what we're seeing working in various settings and to share that around. So we're typically looking at about 20 to 30 different areas in a particular church and assessing against those. And what we do then is we put together a report and we just say, here are your opportunities to improve. The next step for most churches is to form a generosity team, somebody who owns this. And most say, well, we have a finance team. Well, the finance team is largely focused on allocating resources and not growing generosity. The other thing is if you're going to be successful in changing the culture of the church, it's got to be multidisciplinary. So you've got to have worship present. You've got to have communication present. You've got to have a discipleship present. Um, if you have big ministries, those folks have got to have a seat or a voice into that. Otherwise, you're not changing the culture. What you have is a lot of silos that are sending a variety of different messages, and it's confusing people. When that generosity team, and that's just a placeholder name we use, works together, what they're looking to do is to move people through the discipleship process. And so it requires analytics to measure that. And effectively, what we are creating as part of our initial assessment, we call a next level generosity discovery, is a year-round generosity plan. You essentially need a plan like a ministry plan. This should be a supplement to the ministry or discipleship plan in your church where you have a plan to move people through and grow their generosity. To address all the things that we recommend to a church, it, it typically takes 24 to 36 months to really tip the culture. If you're trying to change the culture for it to actually aid in the growing, it takes that long. And so this is a long, slow slog in a single direction. Obviously, we recommend starting with the easy stuff, high impact, easy, and working your way uh, to the more difficult processes. But it is a process. It is complex. And what worked 20 or 50 years ago simply won't work today. Yeah. And, and you said something really important for, for church leaders to understand is, and they know this, culture takes time to shift. It takes time to change. It takes time to instill values. But like you said, if it's not intentionally done, then it doesn't stick, right? It just doesn't stick. If, if it's something you do for a while and then you stop, what I say to pastors is, 
if you don't talk about this often enough, then they will just assume it's not important. It's as simple as that. If you don't talk about finances, if you don't talk about giving, if you don't talk about getting out of debt, if you're not discipling people both in the biblical principles, but also giving them some tools or providing some programs or something where they can get that knowledge, they're just going to assume, just instinctively assume the church doesn't provide that. I have to go somewhere else. And I don't know of any other entity better equipped to help people with their finances because I can go to a financial planner. I can go to any organization that's teaching on finances and get the basics, but we know it's not about the money. It's about the emotions and the, the lure of stuff that sometimes gets us off track. So unless we're dealing with the emotions and the heart of money, and sometimes even the communication between a husband and a wife, if you're not dealing with those things, then even if you add more money, it's not going to fix it. It's actually going to make it worse. So the church is so equipped. God has given us such clarity about how to equip people in this area. And that's what pastors get to do. That's the opportunity they have. So I love what you guys are doing. I love that you're realistically going in there with very clear tools, helping pastors and churches to understand where they stand, how to begin to shift this culture. And, and then you're giving them a reasonable timeline. Say, hey, it's going to take time, but slow and steady and consistency will pay off. Any closing thoughts, Joe, anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to touch on? And then just close up with how can people connect with you and your team so that they can get some help from you guys? Well, Leo, folks can read the article. Um, I think we've covered it well. I would encourage if you're looking for resources to equip yourself or your church leaders, we have a free resource library called Giving 365. It's at giving365.com. It's free. You can sign up. And when you do, you'll also automatically receive a weekly blog that we put out uh, called The Generosity Advantage. If you don't want to receive it, you can unsubscribe or we even do it in a monthly uh, setup where you can just get the summary if you are managing the number of emails. But those are free resources that are on subjects that impact generosity. So for instance, we're dropping an ebook here in the next couple of days that is on analytics. And it's really a piece that is intended for uh, someone who understands the church needs to be able to measure what's happening and give this resource to their leaders who um, need to understand just the basics, the why. This is um, analytics for dummies. There's nothing complex about it. It's focused on the why more than the how. And, and that's what we're trying to do. You can also look us up at horizons.net, see what uh, we do. You know, the first conversation with us is absolutely gratis. We have conversations with people all the time that just have a question that just need to be pointed in the right direction where we don't start, you know, time clocks or charging or anything like that. We're, we're really wanting to help equip uh, stewardship pastors and church leaders to effectively um, change the cultures in their church so that this big advantage we have uh, as the church is we have the best why. No nonprofit has a better why. And we also have the aid of the Holy Spirit. So if we can uh, disciple our people with clarity of why and help them to invite the Holy Spirit in, there is no other organization on this earth that 
is capable of that kind of transformation. And so, Leo, we love CSM. We love the work that you do. Thank you so much for inviting me to share today. Yeah, well, thank you for everything you put out. The Giving 365 is a great resource. I'm on it all the time um, because it helps me to continue to learn and to understand. And you guys are right there talking to pastors, pulling data, looking at the statistics. So you really help our leaders that are part of CSN to understand what's happening in their churches, because sometimes you can get tunnel vision. You're just in your own little environment, whether your church is big or small, you just have your perspective. So unless you're connecting with other churches and seeing what's happening and understanding uh, how to communicate more effectively, you could be missing out. You could be doing something not intentionally, but you could be doing something wrong. We're better together in the sense that we can teach each other and help each other to understand, because as you said, there's no better place than the church. Uh, for Christ to do everything he wants to do. And, and that, that I know that's his heart. He said he will build his church and we just get to be part of it. Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. It is truly appreciated. Love you guys. I love what you get to do and that you continue to resource the church. Thank you. Thank you, Leo. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Stewardship Leader. We hope it was beneficial to you and that you are helped or resourced in some way through this content. If so, please consider leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. If if we earned a five-star rating, please do that, or wherever you listen. You can also leave us a review, uh, which would really help the show become accessible to more people. And that's what we want. We want more people to have access to this content. Also, you can subscribe so you can continue to receive this content that we produce, and then share this episode with another church leader, or really anyone that you feel would benefit. If you want to learn more about Christian Stewardship Network, you can find us at Christian Stewardship Network where you can gain access to all the content and resources we produce, register for one of our events, or contact us if you have any questions or need some help. We would be happy to serve you and your church. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Stewardship Leader. Leader.